0: it's wednesday december 7th i'm oscar ramirez in los angeles and this is the daily dive one of the biggest components of inflation is starting to ease housing costs are coming down but it could take some time before it shows up in official inflation numbers economists say that increases in rents and home prices will remain low as the economy has slowed and mortgage rates remain elevated Shelter inflation is one of those things that tend to be sticky, which means that once it starts moving in any direction, it is slow to change back. Gwen Gilford, economics reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know. Next, what do you do with an iconic Los Angeles landmark that became too old to operate normally and too much of a treasure to tear down? LA County would like to turn the old General Hospital building into affordable and homeless housing. But to do that, there's a ton of work to be done the county has already committed $250 million to removing hazardous materials, upgrading electrical and water systems, installing air conditioning, fire sprinklers, and so much more. The eventual goal will be to have a healthy village with as many as 1,400 units with beds for housing and medical and mental health care. Doug Smith, senior writer at the LA Times, joins us for the future of LA's General Hospital. It's news without the noise, let's dive in.
3: Housing services inflation will probably keep rising well into next year.
1: But if inflation on new leases continues to fall, we will likely see housing services inflation begin to fall later next year.
0: Joining us now is Gwen Guilford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Gwen. Thanks for having me. Let's talk inflation. Uh, Obviously, we're still seeing some high numbers with inflation. We're starting to get a lot of indicators that it could be easing up a little bit but still there's uh, fears of a recession going on. But one of the biggest components of inflation has always been housing costs. And we're seeing that in particular starting to soften right now. We're starting to see new rents go down just a little bit. One of the problems with this is that uh, a lot of the key indicators, a lot of the way that we measure this stuff is always kind of delayed, so it takes a little bit of time to really see if things are dropping, but we're starting to feel like the housing costs are going down and it could be easing up on inflation. So, Gwen, tell us a little bit more about
4: it. Yeah, and that's right. You captured it well. After vaccines came out and you had that huge economic boom that was buoyed by government stimulus and people getting hired like crazy... And you know, wages started really taking off, and then people moved out of their, you know, family homes or situations with roommates to get their own place, or to you know, they upgraded, and so there was a lot of rental demand, and rents just really took off, and um, the measure of new rents, which is what you know, if you look at Zillow or Apartment List, what those are all tracking, those were you know, rising at a three-month annualized rate of like twenty-five percent in the in the summer of 2021, which is just an insane pace. <laughs> right. And and then, you know, that snapped back. And now the Zillow index, it's barely increasing on a month-to-month level, and it might even start to decline soon. But, you know, right now we're in the, C- in the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, we're seeing inflation being still really pretty dangerously hot. And a big reason why is housing costs. And those are... Growing at a really fast clip, and the reason why is exactly what you you mentioned is there's that year long delay, there's that lag, and so what you know what you saw on the market for new rents last summer is has been feeding in to, um or you know the summer of 2021 has been feeding into the inflation that we're we're seeing in the numbers now. But the good news is that's going to start feeding. It's going to continue to feed through, and it's going to help bring down measured inflation over the next year.
0: Yeah. I mean, to the point of those crazy high home prices and rents and all that, I was looking for a home throughout the pandemic. And man, we were getting shot down with crazy bidding wars and all that stuff. It was just, you really felt like you couldn't compete in a lot of areas. Um, So yeah, it was a tough time. And uh, so now that things are starting to cool, I mean, we have all sorts of other things going on, right? We have higher interest rates. The supply of homes is kind of still in the same boat. But how do we calculate this as far as why it lags so long? What are the measurements that we're looking at that makes this lag so long?
4: When the BLS, the Labor Department, surveys, they they do a survey of rents from all over the country and um, kind of alternating different groups of cities. And, um, you know, but most people aren't getting, you know, negotiating a new rent every year they're, you know, you do that when you move to a new place, but, you know, most people have, um, most renters are, you know, staying in a place more than one year and, you know, kind of work things out with their landlord and aren't seeing like, you know, colossally huge rent increases the way you might have experienced if you moved to a new if you had to move to a new place during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so it takes longer for that market pressure to filter through where, you know, the landlord starts to realize, oh, hey, I could be getting a lot more for this place. And, you know, really starts jacking up the rates. You know, well, that only happens when you renegotiate your lease, which is usually once a year, you know, sometimes maybe every six months. Um, So that's one of the reasons it takes a while for it to to, for the market rate to filter through. Um, Is just that, you know, there's the the delay that comes from when people negotiate. And then the other thing is just how the Labor Department averages. They do a six-month trailing average. And so that creates an additional methodological lag.
0: So we might be seeing or feeling the effects a little bit sooner than the the actual numbers are actually going to let us know there. And when we're looking at overall inflation, how big of a portion is that, is housing and shelter costs?
4: It's like, Close to a third of um, the consumer price index, and then when you're talking about the core index, which strips out, you know, kind of volatile food and energy prices, and is what you know economists and the Fed are concerned with, um, it's it's close to um, two fifths of core. So it's a wow. really big deal, yeah. and so when it, like it doesn't take a very big movement to have a big impact.
0: And so, when we're talking about the Fed, and you know they've been raising rates, uh, obviously this is part of it, right, to raise those interest rates uh, enough to cool things down. When we're talking about you know them continuing to raise rates, and what's their goal? Like, what's their target for inflation? Like, obviously they want to bring it down as much as possible, but what percentage are we looking at that they really want to hit where they're feeling comfortable?
4: So they they target two percent with a little bit of a band around that. Um, But and they also are targeting. This is getting into some pretty arcane inflation stuff, but they target a different indicator, which is from the Commerce Department, and it comes out two weeks generally after the Consumer Price Index comes out. Um, it's called the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index, um, and that's interesting since you know we're getting into the wonkery um, <laughs> because the rent component, the shelter component, is much smaller, um, and in in the PCE price index, but Medical care is much bigger um, so that like that, that creates it means that there there was less it, it increased less um, because the rent impact was yeah. was less and but it's also going to come down less um, than a lot of economists expect CPI to come down in the next year year and a half all right. Well, we'll keep
0: an eye out on what's going on with this. Hopefully, as these housing costs do go down, we get to see that reflection in the overall inflation numbers. And then obviously, people start feeling the rest of that go down. I know all of this that we talk about sticky prices a lot of times too. these housing costs, the shelter costs tend to be sticky, right? Once they start moving a little bit, it gets really slow to change back.
4: Yeah. And that's a couple, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is just that methodological stuff that we were talking about but the other is also just the nature of it's sort of like wages like you don't um you know food prices like can go you're going to buy milk for you know 4 dollars a gallon one month and then a couple months later it's 5 dollars and then it goes down to like 250 you know like they go up and they go down but that does not really happen with rent like you know no landlord's going to be like oh well i'm just going to reduce my rent a whole bunch like they there's a, generally a floor of past experience so, you know, it's really hard for once prices go up, they don't tend to come down. The yeah. inc- increase might slow, but yeah, they're sticky.
0: All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for all of this uh, inflation news as it comes up. Gwyn Guilford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
4: Yeah, great to join you.
2: The old L.A. County Hospital has been vacant now for well over a decade. You have 1.1 million, you can't make this up, 1.1 million vacant square feet. The opportunity to get over 800 units,
3: thousands of people into housing off the streets presents itself anew. Joining
0: us now is Doug Smith, senior writer at the L.A. Times. Thanks for joining us, Doug. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Well, let's talk about what's going on with a Los Angeles landmark, the general hospital. It closed down 14 years ago and really nothing has been done with it over all that time. The idea now is as homelessness is such a huge issue in LA and and all parts of the country really, but it's very pronounced in Los Angeles. They're planning on changing the general hospital there into a a, a homeless and affordable housing, a healthy village they want to call it. It's It's going to have beds for housing. It's going to have spaces for social services, community activities, all sorts of stuff. It seems like a huge undertaking. So, Doug, tell us a little bit about what's going on here.
3: Sure, it is a huge undertaking. And since uh, a General Hospital closed, In 2008, for various reasons, it was almost, uh, it was by then 80-something years old, almost 90 years old. And it didn't have the systems that modern hospitals need. It didn't have air conditioning. It didn't have, uh, the electrical system couldn't uh, support the modern medical technology. And then after the Northridge earthquake, the seismic standards for hospitals were upgraded, and it didn't meet those standards So a new hospital was built right next to it and General Hospital just kind of closed. Some of the ground floors were still used for wellness community and and research training, but most of its 19 floors were just left empty and they've deteriorated. The ceiling tiles are falling and there's dust everywhere. The electrical outlets are open and nobody can go there. So it's been very hard to find out what to do with it because it's a gigantic building. You know, when you walk inside, you feel like you're entering an Egyptian pyramid. It's, it's that big. And so it couldn't be reused as a hospital. There was a, it, it had been replaced. And what to do with it? Well, the idea of housing became more tenable as a, the homeless crisis and what's really an affordable housing crisis in Los Angeles became more severe. And so first uh, Supervisor Gloria Molina and then Supervisor Hilda Solis started to pursue the idea of using it for housing in a health and community related context. So the plans are finally now taking shape. There will be a RFP, a request for proposals will be developed and offered in January for a developer to come and figure out how to convert basically operating rooms, wards and laboratories into housing. Right, And um, we, we don't know exactly How that will play out, but it could be anywhere from 350 to 700 units of housing, depending on whether how many of them are single units or how many of them are multi bedroom units for families.
0: Yeah, and that's part of it the the huge undertaking of how to convert what was once a hospital into a space for housing, a space for all these other services and whatnot. And so uh, you mentioned the article too the prep work. Just the the prep work is expected to start next year uh, after the county committed $250 million to take the first step. But it was to some of that stuff you had mentioned. Uh, Removing asbestos, other hazardous materials, installing air conditioning. I mean, you can't have uh, anything built now without air conditioning and fire uh, sprinklers. So all of that stuff is barely going to get started. And then, as you mentioned, then there's the proposals and all that to really figure out exactly what's going to be going on there.
3: Yeah, the county's approach on this is, is kind of unusual. They decided to first prepare the building, just sort of like empty it out and create a, an empty structure that a developer, uh, an imaginative developer could look at and say, we could do this with it. We could use the operating rooms for this purpose and come up with the individual plans. But even just that prep work, which also includes a, a significant seismic upgrade, it's going to cost 250 to $300 million.
0: You mentioned it as well, too, some of the, you know, when you walk in, it, it seems like an Egyptian pyramid or something. It's one of the best, uh, city's best examples of Art Deco architecture. Tell me a little bit about the art there, because that's also some one of the reasons why they haven't torn it all down, too, beforehand, is they wanted to preserve some of that stuff. As I mentioned, it's such been such a landmark for Los Angeles.
3: There's statuary on the outside, it's all of medical theme, the Hippocrates and the Galen and the sort of the big figures in uh, the history of medicine are represented in statues. And then there's a uh, in the entry, there is a mural on the ceiling that, you know, it makes you feel like you're looking at the Sistine Chapel. It's obviously not uh, by Michelangelo, but it but it just has that feeling of awe that you're looking up at this vast ceiling mural. As you walk into the hospital, what used to be the main floor of the hospital, it's, it's so huge that there's a um, color stripe in the middle, a band that's about five feet wide that has different colored stripes. And as you walk through, some of them go right, some of them go left. And you're told at the beginning when they know where you need to go, you're told to follow a certain color to get you there. It's, it's sort of how big and complex the building is.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the history of General Hospital. You made mention in the article about, you know, some of the pretty nasty stuff there that was done under an old eugenics law. A lot of things for uh, that happened to the Latino community as well. You know, even when the new hospital was built, you know, a lot of people were displaced because construction had to be done. Tell me a little bit about some of that.
3: Sure, the hospital has been a, a huge presence in Boyle Heights since it, it was built in nineteen uh, in the late nineteen twenties and opened in nineteen thirty three, and it's it's a- always been a place where people in that community could go, and if they had they couldn't afford it, they would get free medical care. But it also had this other element of its history. Racial attitudes were sort of. Became a part of 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 its service, and so sometimes Latina women came to deliver uh, babies, and there was a doctor there who thought that they were bringing too many babies into the world who weren't educated, didn't have a chance, and so they sterilized a couple of hundred women there with their consent, but it wasn't clear if they actually gave their consent knowingly. They signed forms, and they, they you know they were given a form had signed this, and it was a consent to, to sterilize them. And this became a, a practice in the hospital in the 70s, uh, 60s, and 70s. Under California had a eugenics law under which thousands of women across the state were sterilized. The state finally provided a fund to compensate them, but it didn't apply to the women who were sterilized at County General because the hospital was locally funded.
0: In all of this, uh, you spoke to a number of people, though, you know, this is uh, some of the, the, the worst parts of that history, but you spoke to a lot of people, too, who where General Hospital was where they were born, where they went and they had a broken arm, where their family members were saved from uh, having, you know, after uh, recovering and after having heart attacks and whatnot. And it was just a, a central place there where people got their health care done.
3: It was. And we we spoke to Monica Alcaraz, who has been the president of the uh, Highland Park uh, Neighborhood Council, and she was born there and her siblings were born there. Her mother went there when she had a heart attack. And, And so the hospital is it's hard to believe it's this gigantic structure that you can see from many parts of Los Angeles. It's sort of present everywhere, but it's also an intimate part of people's lives. Including my own. My own father went there when he had a heart attack in 1988, and they saved his life there.
0: And in all of this, uh, what has been the community reaction to at least some of this plan, uh, you know, changing it into a homeless and affordable housing? Because that's a touchy uh, subject a lot of times when uh, you're bringing certain elements into the community and all that. So what's, I, I know there's a lot of homeless encampments that have been seen around the area as well. So, uh, how has the community reacted to a lot of this?
3: So Hilda Solis did a smart thing. Boyle Heights and and Lincoln Heights on the north are communities that are really guard uh, their heritage carefully, and you could take a misstep and get the community against you, as the owner of the former Sears building did by proposing to make it a home for 10,000 homeless people. But Hilda Solis built a community organization that has been looking at this for years and has been involved in the planning of it, and. My colleague Andrew spoke to all the major people in the community, and, and there's generally support for this project, also because the project will not be just the hospital, but it'll be 12 acres to the west that will be used for housing, for community spaces. and there's a child care center that's being built that will open there in December. and the restorative care village, which is a part of the larger property. They've already completed uh, 64 units of uh, mental health residential care and 120 unit, 28 units of recuperative care for people leaving the hospital who aren't ready to, to go home. And and that there's twice as much space in their recuperative care village that's going to be developed for more services like that, including uh, workforce development. So the community at at this point is very much behind the project. Of course, it's one more big step. When then developer makes a proposal and that could be a a moment when there could be tension.
0: Doug Smith, senior writer at the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.
1: Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.
4: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80.